So here we are at the end of our book of 1 Corinthians, the study in 1 Corinthians. And, and it's, uh, we started it back in March. And now here we are in November. It's almost the end of the year. And, and uh, it's been a really neat study. And it seems a little bit weird for me to be up here and sit at Pastor Brent to, to wind this up. But it's just the way it worked out. So in this study, it's been amazing. We've seen Paul deal with a lot of different issues that were either problems in the Corinthian church or questions that had been sent to him by the Corinthian church. And so he had, he had dealt with a lot of things ranging from doctrine, marriage, divorce, drunkenness, even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes even just general bad behavior in the church. And it's really neat because Paul brought correction and exhortation and understanding to each of these things. And so then after all of that he was dealt with, in chapter 15, you know, Paul takes us and gives us that great look ahead to that wonderful glory that awaits all believers. So then when we first look at chapter 16, it's kind of like, well, hmm. Why didn't we just finish off on that great chapter last time? You know, it was, you know, we had the, all kinds of things in that one, and it was so good. You know, like Paul answered the question of resurrection, and, and he explained that if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith would be in vain. But the fact is that he was raised from the dead, and death had been conquered, and our faith is not in vain. Paul speaks about Christ's resurrection from the grave and he lets us know that because Christ was resurrected from the grave, we too will be resurrected from the grave. We as his followers. And then Paul tells us not only are we to be raised from the dead, but that we will be changed to that glorified body like the one that Jesus has. A body designed to live for eternity without decay, without age, without all the problems that we can have, you know, in our bodies. And, you know, my sore knee reminds me that I need that new body. And so, you know, we can look forward to that. And then Paul finishes that portion of the letter with the amazing news that not all of us even need to die. You know, there will be that time he talks about the rapture of the church, being caught up to meet the Lord in the air and then be changed to our immortal, incorruptible bodies to spend eternity with the Lord. And I love the way that Paul always included himself in that when he said, we who are alive and remain, or we might not all sleep. Paul included himself in these things when he talked about it. His, his expectancy was that the Lord would return at any time. And that's that expectancy that we need to live with, that we need to have. So it seems almost a little anticlimactic that Paul would give us this awesome material and then kind of tag on this last bit that seems to be more like just general housekeeping. But it's been included in the Word, and because it's included, we know that the Holy Spirit had a reason for it. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we read, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You see, that's where our strength is. That's where the answers lie. That time we spend in the Word of God, which does all these things, it directs us in our life. It gives us correction. It gives us direction. It gives us all the things that we need. And so it seems to me that the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is reminding us that even though we have this amazing future to look forward to, to spending eternity with the Lord, we've got some very practical things to do while we wait for him to come. We're to occupy until Christ comes. And I know that I want to be interrupted doing something for the Lord when he comes to get me. So Paul takes us through some lessons in the conclusion of this letter to the Corinthian church that helps them and helps us to stay focused and on track. So let's just pray and then we'll get into our study. Thank you, precious Holy Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your word, what we can count on for everything in our life. And God, we just pray this morning that as we open your word and study through it, God, that your Holy Spirit would just reveal those things to our hearts individually that we need to know. So Lord, I just pray that you would bless this, our time in your word. In Jesus' name. So we start in 1 Corinthians 16, in verses 1 to 4, we read, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So here's another question that's been sent to Paul. And we know that because he starts it out by saying now concerning. So it's another one of these things he's dealing with. In chapter 7, it was now concerning marriage and singleness. And in chapter 8, the things offered to idols. And chapter 9 was even Paul's apostleship. Paul was answering these questions that were sent to him from the Corinthian church. So this is, a, this is the final one he's getting to, and he says, now concerning the collection. Paul here is asking those church, the churches, or the church, sorry, in Corinthian, Corinth, to uh, set aside something for the churches in, in need in, in Jerusalem. And he's already spoken to some other churches. He mentions the church in Galatia, and some other places, he mentions churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And there were others, as Paul traveled through the Gentile regions that he was ministering to, there were churches that had put aside collections for the poor Jews in the church in Jerusalem. And we know that church was, had some difficulties. There was a lot of um, widows there. We read in Acts chapter 6, there was uh, many widows Um, There was also famine at that time in Jerusalem, in that area. And so some of of these were the needs that Paul was trying to meet by asking other Christians to support them. And he was saying, when you guys get together on Sunday for your time of gathering, please make sure that you set something aside for the Jerusalem church. And the gift was an amount between the giver and the Lord, As they prospered, they were to give. 
Tithing isn't really talked about in the, in the New Testament, but giving definitely is talked about in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So Paul's reminding us that God meets all of our needs. He gives and he sustains. He says, you've got sufficiency in all things. And out of the abundance that God has given, you're expected to support the ministry. You're expected to take care of the poor. Like a topic of giving, you don't hear a lot about here at Riverside. We don't talk about it a lot unless it comes up in the passage that we happen to be going through at the time. Because here we, we believe that where God guides, he will provide. He always does, right? But it's important to note that we are instructed in the New Testament that as believers, we're expected to care for the poor and to support the pastors, the teachers in the ministry, preaching the gospel, which by the way, you guys all do extremely well. It's an extremely giving church. And there's a lot of things that are supported by it. I think it was so cool to see that Steve Thompson, and there he is, and we're supporting that ministry. And there's like over 400,000 people that now have water that they can drink. But more importantly, there's over 23,000 people that now have the spiritual water of the Lord that they are now partaking of because of people like you that have supported that ministry to send, right? And there's, if you look at the mission board out there, there's a lot of people out there that we're supporting, that we're sending out. And, you know, there's, there's people that go and do, there's fighters, and there's those that support the fighters, right? There's those that support. And we can't all be doers and goers, but we can certainly support. And that is just as important because without the support, the doers can't go. So, you know, it's, it's really cool to see in the missions updates the results sometimes of these things to help you be reminded that this is what it's going towards. These are the types of things. And even just you look around the community and you see the people that are being touched. You know, it was cool. Um, Brent Muxlow came up to me and said, somebody ask the Lord into their heart after the, first, after the second service. Like, I mean, people are being touched by the word of God. So, you know, it's so important. So that's what Paul's asking of the Corinthian church. He's just asking them to remember the church in Jerusalem. This was the literal birthplace of the church and all missionary work had begun from that place, right? So they were in a time of need. The next thing we see here is the way that Paul is always careful to distance himself from the money. He never wanted anyone to have any reason to accuse him of inappropriate actions regarding money. Paul never asked anyone for support for himself. He was definitely thankful to those that did send him support, and he would mention it in his letters, but he was always confident that it was God who he depended on. 
We see in Philippians 4, 10 to 14, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. So Paul was thanking the Philippian church for sending support at this point in time. He had received support and he was, he was glad of it. And he was saying, thank you. And he knew whether it was the Philippians or the Corinthians or any of the other churches that sent him aid, that it was all directed to him by God. And it was God that he depended on. It wasn't man. Because Paul, he was, he was busy about the work of the Father no matter where he was. You know, he, he would chain to some guard in a jail cell somewhere, so he just preached to the guard. You know, he, he, he preached to those he was with. And Paul never let his circumstances dictate whether or not he would go forward with what the Lord had for him. So those are the things that we need to remember that we need to be not caring about what circumstances we're in, but what God has for us to do. And the next thing that he says is he wants the collection to be complete and set aside before he even gets there. He didn't even want to be involved in the collection of the money. And he didn't want to be the one that carried it to Jerusalem. He told them to pick someone that he trusted and that they would carry the money. If he went to Jerusalem, they could go with him. But he wanted to keep himself separate. And I think that it's a wise decision for the pastor of a church to make sure in the financial issues of the church that he has trusted people doing that for him. And I just want you to know that that's the way it takes place here at Riverside. Pastor Brent is not involved. He doesn't know who gives what or anything. He he doesn't want to have that as part of his thing. He's got people that he trusts that take care of that for him. So the next point Paul brings up here are some of his personal plans for the near future. Verses 5 to 9 we see, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." I just, I love it the way that he's so bendable to what the Lord has him to do. He says, and it may be that I will remain. Eh, Maybe I'll spend the winter. You can send me on my journey wherever I'm going to go. I don't know. He says, I don't want to see you now on the way because I'm busy and I'm doing things. I really want to spend some quality time with you guys. But for right now, I know that I'm where I need to be. And he says he's going to tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door has opened unto him. And he knows it's a great door because there's a bunch of adversaries. 
you know? So he, he knows that that's what's going on. And it's, it's interesting because if you, um, <clears throat> he, he just knows that he has the, the plans there, right? And you can read about that a bit in, in Acts chapter 19, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But the thing that we need to remember out of this is that we need to be flexible. We need to know that um, our plans aren't always God's plans. Chuck Smith used to say, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Right? <laughs> James chapter 4, 13 to 15 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It's so important to be under the will of God and know that our plans don't take precedence. Don't get me wrong, it's good to have plans. Paul had plans. But we need to remember that God's plans and his timing are always better than ours. So if he wants to change directions for us, that's what we need to be doing. As you read about Paul's ministry, and you see going through the book of Acts, you see many times where the Lord redirected Paul and his companions. Right? You, you see that they were changed in a variety of different ways. Sometimes by a direct leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, when they were thinking about going into Asia, Paul says, we wanted to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow us to go at that point in time. And then he said, through visions. So at that point, he saw a vision of a, of a man from Macedonia beckoning Paul to come to Macedonia and, and to teach there. And so that's what they did. Sometimes Paul had to go through beatings and stonings, you know, and that was a pretty good indication that it was time to leave that city. You know, it was, people were done with them, you know, so he, he would move on. And then sometimes Paul was even shipwrecked. You know, actually three times. Paul was shipwrecked three times. Not a good guy to buy a ticket on the same boat as Paul. Right? You don't want to be on the boat where Paul is. But God would redirect Paul in where he was going and how he was going to get there. You know, I mean, it was interesting when, you know, Paul's, Paul's idea, after leaving Jerusalem, he wanted to go to Rome. Well, he didn't ever expect to go to Rome as a prisoner. Right? And that's how he ended up leaving Jerusalem in chains, going to Rome as a prisoner. But on the way to Rome, oh my goodness, you know, the, the shipwreck that just destroyed the whole ship and they ended up on the Isle of Malta and where is this place? And, you know, a snake jumps out of the fire and bites him on the arm. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that Paul is, must have been saying, God, what are you trying to teach me here? Where are we going? You know, But he was just so open and so willing to change directions all the time. And he was just ready to do whatever God put in front of him. I think that sometimes even as individuals or even as a church, we can become so plan-oriented and goal-focused that we might miss an opportunity that God puts in our path. We're so busy sometimes with that high-level view of things that we forget to really zoom in and see the close-up details of the people 
that are right in front of us. The people that God puts in our path that need ministry. Some need encouragement or something else personal that is just for them from the Lord. But he wants you or me to be his hands and his feet to facilitate those plans. So we need to remember that as we spend that special time alone with God every day, that time when we're reading his word and and spending time in prayer, just asking him, God, what is it you want me to do for you today? Where do you want me to be? Bring some of those divine appointments to me today that I can bring your love and your word and your understanding to somebody that needs it today, right? See what his will is for us today to really look and see what it is that God wants us to do and accept the changes to our plans. When he changes something, change with him. In verses 8 and 9, we see that Paul was currently operating in a ministry that God had put before him. And the fact that he was in Ephesus, you can read a lot about that in chapter 19 of Acts. It really goes through some of the details of what Paul was dealing with in Ephesus. And it was a great door. He first got to Ephesus and he discovered that the Christians there who had actually come to the Lord and been baptized, but they hadn't been baptized into the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know. They said, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. What's that? And so Paul was able to share the Holy Spirit with them and and preach them and that they were able to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he spent three months, I think it was, preaching in the synagogues and trying to reason with the, the Jews in the synagogues. I love the way Jews reason. They, say, yeah. they argue for, you know, for fun, right? That's what they do. And so Paul did that. But at some point, um, he got a lot of resistance in the synagogues and he had to move out of there. So he moved into, it was almost like a college or a university that he was a professor in for two years. And he was teaching the word of God there. And the reason that we know he was where he needed to be and was being very effective was because there were many adversaries that came against him. And you can read about that in chapter 19 in Acts as well, where it was like the the union of idol makers got together and said, hey, this guy's costing us money. We need to get rid of him. And they caused a huge uproar in the city and there was a giant gathering in the theater and the, you know, the mayor got involved and he was like, hey, everybody settle down or you're going to get the Romans on us and you know, we don't even have a reason to be here. Go home, settle down. And so you know, Paul was facing many adversaries. But you can read all about that there. But the thing to know is that if we're where God wants us to be, you can be sure the devil is going to try to thwart what God is doing. And he's going to put roadblocks and distractions in our way. But those things didn't deter Paul from what he was doing. Paul went on to do the work of the Lord, and he went forward strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, as it says in Ephesians 6.10. Knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4.4 tells us. Paul didn't fear because he knew that God was with him. And these are the promises that we can count on today, knowing that whatever things Satan puts in our way, those adversarial things, those distractions in our life, we can count on the fact that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
Then we move on in the next few verses and we get to see some of the heart of Paul as it relates to his fellow companions in the service of the Lord. And it's really very much a family relationship. In 10 to 12 we see, he says, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord as I do also. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me for I am waiting for him with the brethren. We see here that the kind of fatherly care that Paul has for his young helper, Timothy. He loved this guy. He had been mentoring him and caring for him. And, and Timothy was a great help to Paul. He came to him so often in his time of need. And Paul would send him here or there to do different things or bring messages. And he asked the people in Corinth that they should not treat Timothy with disrespect because he was a great help to Paul. And just because he was young and maybe he was not too sure of himself, Paul really was pretty protective of Timothy. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul is writing to him and he's encouraging him to not be intimidated because he was young. He said, let no man despise you for your youth. And he reminded him, that he'd been gifted by God for the work that he'd been commissioned to do and prayed for by the elders when they sent Timothy out to do the work that God had commissioned Timothy to do. Paul dearly loved Timothy, and we see some of that in this section. And then concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a more convenient time. So here we see the humility that Paul shows when dealing with his brother in the Lord. You know, you might think, wow, the Apostle Paul just asked me to do something. I better get on it, right? You know, like he needed to, you know, think about that. But Paul wasn't like that. He, he just said, it says, Paul strongly urged Apollos to go to Corinth. But when Apollos said that he would not at that point in time, Paul didn't press the matter further, but merely says that Apollos will come at a more convenient time. So from this, we can assume that Apollos was busy doing something that the Lord had him doing, and he knew that it wasn't time for him to go. So, you know, there wasn't this hierarchy of of things that was going on there. Paul didn't just demand that these people would go and do things for him. People were doing things because that's the way God was leading them, right? They were moving forward and doing the things that God had them to do. And so then we get to this next couple of verses, and they're short little verses. And, and I really, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I wish they were at the end of the chapter because they've got such a punch. But Paul puts them in, I think, where they're in because... Well, because the Holy Spirit told them to. But, um, you know, they're, they're there to kind of remind people, even in the midst of all of this kind of personal stuff that was being talked about, reminding them what they needed to do to go forward in this. And it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. And the terms that are used in verse 13, are all military terms. And they're all, when translated out of the Greek, they all have very kind of strict military meaning. It says, watch ye. 
is to watch and be continually on your guard so that you're not surprised by your enemies. Stand fast in your faith. Keep in your ranks. Do not be disorderly. Be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. And for me, that conjures up that picture of, you know, you see the Roman gladiator and his, all of his gear. And he's standing there. He's got his sword and his shield and everything. But in his sandals, they've punched nails through the bottom of their sandals to go into the ground like cleats. And so it says stand fast. That's literally what it means. They would plant their feet and stand there and join together in a, in a group that could not be moved. The enemy would try to move them and they were literally planted. And so that's what it's talking about. It says stand fast in your faith, right? And then it says be brave. And I love the way the King James actually says is it says quit yourselves like men. In other words, act like a man. Stand up and be counted. Like, don't wimp out. Don't back off. It says, when you're attacked, don't flinch. Maintain your ground. Resist. Press forward. Strike home. Keep compact. Conquer. Man, these words have a lot of meaning in Greek. You know, it takes a whole sentence of English to tell you what they are. And, and be strong. If one company or division is opposed by too many, Summon up more people. Strengthen that division. Get together and don't be afraid. Fear will drain the courage out of somebody. You know, I mean, we see that back when Goliath was out there just taunting the Israelites. And they were all so afraid of him. They just, they were just a whole army of guys. And they were fearful to go up against him because of what he looked like. The guy was a giant. But David comes along in the strength of the Holy Spirit on him and the Lord. And he says, what? who is this guy that's out here mocking our God? Are you kidding me? Give me some rocks. I'll go deal with this guy, right? So, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that we need to be remembering, you know? And, and how do we do that? Well, we do that by putting on the armor of God that God gives us. And we, we see that in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says stand therefore. Again, that stand, right? That stand fast. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So again, we're reminded, how do we do this? We do this by spending time in the word and in prayer. And this is the thing that strengthens us and puts on that armor that we can avoid those things that would come against us. You know, I, I get that, again, that picture of that Roman group of guys and they they all hold up their shields together and it just forms this like impenetrable shell over them all these fiery arrows land on them they don't care they just go out right like that's what we have against the fiery darts of satan so that is so cool and then he says let all that you do be done in love 
Paul reminds them that all of this, they do it in love. None of it makes sense if love isn't the motivating factor. The absolute love of Jesus Christ needs to flow through us and our desire to share that love with others, both within the body and those that don't know Jesus yet. You know, we need to be able to do all of these things with the love of Christ. And if love is driving us, it, it's, if that's the motivating factor, if you truly are loving people, it's not hard to do the rest because love is such a great motivator, right? And so that's what he's saying. Do it all in love. And then he says, I urge you, brethren, <clears throat> you know the household of Stephanas, that it, is the first, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. He brings up this fellow Stephanus, <coughs> who it says was the first fruits of Achaia. So this, Stephanus and his family were one of the, the first groups when Paul came into that Corinth area that accepted the Lord and became Christians. And Stephanus apparently was somewhat of a man of means and because uh, it says his whole household, right? He had servants and, and he had people that went with him. And we see in the next verse, it says, I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. So Stephanus had taken it upon himself to bring a gift to Paul. He had been tasked with bringing this letter from the Corinthian church to Paul. So he was the one that actually brought the letter that Paul was answering, right? And the two guys that went with him, Fortunatus and Achaicus, were his servants. They were guys that were from his household. And so he had taken it upon himself because... <clears throat> it says, Paul says, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. So for some reason, at that point in time, the Corinthian church was unable to send a gift. He wasn't trying to lay a guilt trip on them. He was just saying that Stephanus brought one of his own and he refreshed my spirit. And because my spirit was refreshed, now he refreshed your spirit, knowing that I'm taken care of. So he wasn't trying to you know, guilt them and say, well, you guys didn't send anything. He had to bring it. But he was just saying, we can all rejoice together that he brought me something that um, makes us all feel better, right? And so he's saying, acknowledge these guys when they come back, because they were coming back with Paul's answer. And then he says, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord and the church that's in their house. And all the brethren greet you. And greet one another with a holy kiss. And so Aquila and Priscilla was another couple that Paul had met when he first came to Corinth. And they were actually tent makers because it says in Acts, he met them, they were of the same trade, right? And that's what Paul did. He made tents. And so they set up business together and uh, they made tents. And, and Paul lived with them and, and supplied his own need at that time. Right? Because again, Paul was never one to ask for support for himself. He would go into a place and work with his hands, support himself, and bring the gospel. Right? So he was never looking to be that guy that was just living off his, his uh, teaching. Right? Even though 
he had perfect right to. You see that otherwhere in the Bible. But um, So that's who Priscilla and Aquila were. And then they went with Paul on this missionary journey because they were now with him in Ephesus. And so they had a house there and they had a house church. And that's what most of the churches were at that point in time. There were house churches. People that had adequate size houses would have, you know, 20, 30 people in their house and they would get together and they would have house churches. And so that was what Paul was, he was just bringing greetings from all the house churches in Ephesus. And then he says, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. And I love the way that he kind of really wants to be personal with people and let them know that, yeah, I've got somebody that takes the dictation for me and they write most of the stuff because, you know, apparently Paul had some trouble with his eyes and there were some issues that he had there because it says sometimes he would sign it with his own hand and see what, what large letters I've written, you know? So, I mean, he needed to write big so he could see them, I guess, right? But, you know, he, he adds that personal touch when he's talking to people and saying, you know, I did this in, in my own hand just to show you. And then he says something really amazing. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Like, Wow. That is, a, that is a harsh statement because to be a curse, the Greek word anathema that is used there means to be cut off, to literally just be disowned from family, from your synagogue, from whatever. It was to be cut off. And he says, those that do not love the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be cut off from him, right? And in Romans 9.3, Paul said, the same thing. He said he was willing, he was willing himself to be anathema, cut off from Jesus, if it would mean the salvation of the Jewish people. He said that was Paul's heart. He was so wanting the Jewish people to be saved that he was willing to cut himself off, if it were possible, from Christ. Right? That was the sacrifice. That was the sacrificial love that Paul had. Right? And then he says, oh Lord, come. He just wants what we all want. He just wanted the Lord to come. And don't we all want and need that, right? And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Paul was saying, he's ended this chapter exactly like he started the book with the grace of God, asking that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them all. And he was telling them that he loved them. And that through all of the things that he had been through in this chapter and in this whole book and this study that we've been going through, all the correction, all the stuff he had to deal with, all the discipline, encouragement, that it was all driven from Paul's love for them. And he wanted them to know that he loved them. And it was all done out of that. And so that's what we need to remember. That whatever we're doing for the Lord, whoever we're in contact with, wherever we are, we need to be acting out of Christ's love for people. So Father, we just thank you for this time that we could just be in your word. God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the love that you have provided to us. God, that we can be saved, that we can 
look forward to that eternity with you because of what you did on the cross. That love that is so unmatched by anything we could ever offer. But God, as your Holy Spirit works through us, Lord, that we would show that love to the world around us. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, through your word, would move in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.